Hello, and welcome to the Sustainable Life Podcast. In this episode, we'll sit down and chat with Yasmin Devar, a peace and sustainability expert who is also an environmental engineer with a Master's of International Studies in Peace and Conflict Resolution. She is also an author and will be talking about her book, Our Peaceful Planet, in this episode as well. So today on the podcast, we have the lovely Yasmin Davar, um, who wrote the most amazing book ever called Our Peaceful Planet, Healing Ourselves and Our World for a Sustainable Future. So welcome to the podcast, uh, Yasmin. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, I love having you. I mean, after reading this book, I feel like I really know you and I know your values so well. Um, but I will admit after reading the book, I did kind of leave and I was so glad that, that I got to have this podcast with you because I was like, I want to know more about her. Like, oh, okay. and so do you yeah. mind if we start with that? Like just to get yeah, to know you. Great. So like, can you tell me about like your journey? Um, obviously like, uh, I think at the back of the book, it has a bit of a description about you and how, um, you have a master in international studies and peace and conflict resolution. You've obviously worked with like governments um, and industry for many, many years. And like, you sound so, so, so cool. And I just wanna know like, how did that, how did that all come to be? Um, That was just me following my path. So when I was in uh, senior high school, I had planned to go into medicine. I got really good grades. And then one of my close friends committed suicide. And um, and then my best friend died in a car accident 10 months later. So those two senior years of high school, uh, you know, I spent grieving basically. And uh, my grades dropped. If, if you've ever experienced grief, it's very hard to um, focus. <laughs> it's a very overwhelming, it's the most overwhelming emotion that I think humans experience. And so I um, didn't have the grades to get into medicine. And so I thought, well, I, I need to decide on a different career path now. And I had a look through the, the book of options for university and environmental engineering was there. It was the brand new degree at that time. It was only the second year that it had been offered. Wow. And I thought, this sounds great. This sounds really positive. And you know what it was? And um, even though I didn't get into my first choice of university, I got into my second choice. Sometimes the universe just works everything in your favor. And the degree I did was wonderful. And so environmental engineering is about knowing how to clean up the mess we've created and how to stop it from being created. So um, that's in a sense, and I'm talking about pollution, um, that, that is essentially what environmental engineers do. In my degree program, we learned about all aspects of the environment because the environment is com- a completely interconnected whole. So soil and water and air and um, anything else you could think of, industrial processes, everything, we learned it. And it was, it was fabulous. And I did it because I wanted to do something positive for the world and that was just it. And then I started a PhD, which I didn't finish. It's because I specialized in waste management. I didn't finish it. And um, I went through a divorce. I married young and I divorced young. And, but my PhD got me interested in international relations because I was looking at nuclear waste. And the nuclear energy industry is very driven by the weapons industry. Those two things um, 
the rationale, I think, for continuing with nuclear weapons after the Second World War, uh, I think it was justified by having this fantastic nuclear energy industry. That's the way that they sold it. And I became very interested in international relations. So I um, stopped my PhD. I worked in business for a while in corporation and I am um, and then did a master's in international studies and peace and conflict resolution, which was also a brand new degree at that time. And I did the last six months of that in Paris on exchange, a scholarship program, which was wonderful um, and very different. It was very different to get a European view of international relations versus an Australian view. Yeah, very much in the centre of things, much more in Europe than you are here in Australia. So. But all of it was, was wonderful. And once again, just driven by a, um, a desire to do good in the world. That was it. That's and so then cool. when um, I graduated, I worked in refugee settlement for a long time here in Australia for the government. Yeah, and then I've moved since then back into the environmental field, back into waste. So once again, for government, but working with industry to change waste practices to be more sustainable. In the book, you mentioned while you were in school um, that when you were first learning about all of these things, especially climate change, they were projecting that we still had like a good 50 years before yeah. you know things would turn around. And you were saying something like in the book, it changed to like 20. Yeah. Um, so that's, and I guess it's just because of like the sheer level of consumption um, in that, those 20 years, correct? Yeah, so the pace of consumption rose exponentially in those 20 years. We've destroyed more forests, we've created more change in the climate, um, and we've consumed far more in the last 20 years than we have um, previously in our society, which is just crazy. And of course, at the time I studied, they were going on the current projections. They didn't expect this massive upswing. So, um, but here we are, here we are, and we're really already feeling the effects of climate change. Definitely. You opened up the book by talking about uh, Chernobyl, and I didn't hear any about any of that in your story. Um, how, how did that affect you? Because you start like as the first sentence of the book. Yeah. Um, so I was 12, 13, and I heard about the accident on the radio. And um, I understood that that would have long lasting impacts for that area and for the people that lived in that area. And a lot of that since then has been brushed over, but I think that that was probably the start of my interest in environmental affairs. So it was just kind of simmering in the background. And I should also mention that I did grow up in a beautiful home, in a beautiful crystal town with koalas in my backyard and kookaburras and, uh, you know, magpies, so surrounded by nature. That is so beautiful. And, yeah, and so I think that these are subconscious uh influences that because i was always like yeah yeah i'm gonna be a doctor and i'm gonna earn lots of money and blah 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 and when that didn't come about and i thought about well what is it that i want to do then all of those things then had the um ability of space to rise to the surface right so yeah. beautiful i mean the so now knowing your story with like your friends passing and such it really makes a lot of sense um, the inner healing aspect of the book because that was a surprise to me. I'm not gonna lie. I opened up the book and I start to read it and I was like, is this a self-help book? Because I didn't think this would be a self-help book at all. Um, and then going through all of the various healing exercises and I thought it might be neat for the audience if you're open to it to go through the kind of questions that you do. I was thinking on page 36, 
yeah, it'd be kind of cool if you're you're the one guiding us through it. But um, on page 36, you do one for our struggle to survive. Yeah. And I, I think if people don't struggle or like have some sort of a connection for a struggle to survive, they may have a struggle with some other area in their life. So if not to survive, it may be to struggle with, I don't know, losing weight, to struggle with having a healthy relationship with like your romantic partner or someone within your family or whatever. So replace that word survive with something else. And perhaps if you're open to it, maybe to lead us through like a guided meditation so that people get an idea of what you mean when you say we need to heal our inner self and then we can actually achieve a real sustainable future. Yeah, background to that. Through the healing work that I did on myself, I was unhappy. I'd gone through a divorce. I wasn't being, I wasn't able to sustain a relationship after that. I recognized that whatever it was that all the pain and anger and whatever that I had within me, I was projecting out into the world. And, and that was being packed up on and that was why I wasn't being able to form a positive relationship with someone. But then it occurred to me as I went through the healing process, that not only do you need to heal that pain, but you need to change the beliefs that you hold about yourself that have usually been ingrained when you've been very young in childhood. And I'm not saying that parents, you know, do a bad job, but these things happen. And not only do we hold negative beliefs about ourselves, individual beliefs, but as societies, we hold beliefs which then form the basis of our societies and the way that we interact with each other, both those personal beliefs and those collective beliefs. Do you want to give us an example of a collective belief just so everyone has right? Okay, so a collective belief is a belief that a group of people hold. It can be about your identity. So a particular ethnic group may believe that um, they're always persecuted or another particular ethnic group may believe that they're the best in the world. And we've certainly seen that play out. Um, A collective belief may be that the environment is there for us to exploit, which is that's a belief that we see play out through actions every day across the world right now. Um, So that's what a collective belief is. And because our actions are based on our beliefs, in order to see real change within ourselves and within the world, first you need to change your beliefs. And so that's why that is first up in the book. Yeah. So I, I understand you know, why you were a bit surprised. But that's I was the... so surprised. I was sitting on the beach reading the book and I had a bunch of people that live in my building all around me. And I was like, you guys, I have to share something. I opened up this book thinking I was going to learn about sustainability, like the various sustainable practices around the world. But this is a self-help book. And then they were like, really? And I was like, yeah. So she's having us do this. Then she's having us do this. Then she's having us do that. And I was like, isn't that an interesting way of thinking about it? And they were like, yeah, I guess it is. So it's, it resonated with me and it resonated with people around me, just so you know. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Let's do like a guided healing if you're open to it. <laughs> so um, I recommend that you do this where you won't be distracted. So sit by yourself, be comfortable, don't lie down, preferably because then you have a tendency to fall asleep. Um, so just sit where you're comfortable in a quiet space. I should say, if you're driving while you're listening to this podcast, pull over if you can, or listen to it a, on a different day when you're you know, in a space where you can actually focus and you're not going to be disturbed or yeah. in danger. <laughs> Good, point. Good point. So I just want you to think about and then allow yourself to feel the emotional response that you have associated with your struggle. Maybe your struggle to survive, which is something that's been genetically ingrained in all of us. 
but it may be another struggle that you're having as M said earlier. So whatever that struggle is, I want you to feel the emotion associated with that. And if you don't feel anything, because sometimes I think some people have learned to really put a lid on their emotions, I want you to shift your awareness to your heart or your stomach area, wherever you feel is best. And then imagine you lifting the lid off your pain. So lifting that lid where you suppress everything, lift it off and then drop into the emotion, the pain, the anger, whatever it is that you feel and allow yourself to feel it. Now I want you to picture or feel this pain. I'm going to call it pain, it might be something else, as a black ball. And I want you to surround it with the light of your life force. So everybody has life force that flows through them. Imagine it as a light. And this life force creates a sacred space within you where only truth is told. Then you place your awareness in the black ball of pain and you ask your body when this belief was formed. Be very still and wait for the answer to form in your consciousness. Normally that sounds very different to the normal chatter of your mind. It is profound and to the point. While you may hear what the belief you hold is in your mind, you may also see a picture of a person or an event linked to the formation of the negative belief. And accompanying this may be a reenactment of how the negative belief was formed that offers a wider perspective of that experience. So what you're tapping into here is your cell memory. Your body is amazing and you will remember everything that's happened to you. So you're tapping into your cell memory here of when your belief was formed. Just allow yourself to hear or to see that cell memory play out as though you were listening to the radio or you were watching TV. Normally this takes a little bit. And if a person appeared in relation to the formation of this negative belief, ask them why they acted the way they did. In the light of your life force, the answer is honest and direct. And you can ask clarifying questions, but keep the dialogue short and direct because the purpose is to get to the heart of the matter without obscuring it with unnecessary talk and questions. So usually, this person will say that they're sorry for the way they acted. Even if they do not, it's necessary to exercise compassion and understanding in order for you to heal. Tell them that you forgive them and do so from the heart. It is more powerful if you say it out loud. You may also choose to thank them for any positive things that they have contributed to your life. Now, if a person or an event does not appear, ask your body what is required to heal the negative belief. Wait for an answer to form in your consciousness. Sometimes it's necessary to simply forgive ourselves for holding the negative belief 
and putting ourselves through a series of traumatic experiences. Once again, it is more powerful if we forgive ourselves from the heart out loud. Now with the light of your life force, I want you to burn through that ball of pain and then extend your life into every cell of your body to remove the negative belief. Return your awareness to your heart or stomach area and focus on positive beliefs. So you're replacing the negative belief with the positive belief or more than one. I find more than one is better. So you might choose to have positive beliefs that you are worthy, that you deserve to have love, that you allow yourself to have love, for example, you allow yourself to experience peace in your relationships. You allow yourself to experience healthy relationships. It very much depends on the belief that you just removed because you want to put in the opposite, the positive opposite of that. And then create all these positive beliefs and wrap them in the light of your life force around them. And then extend the light of your life force into every cell of your body to embed these positive beliefs. Now you may experience a series of positive realizations through this process. It doesn't happen every time, but it does happen and enjoy them. They're a lovely part of the healing process. So what I really loved about your meditation and the exercise was that every single time that I did it, I was very surprised by who came up. And I was also very surprised by the times where I couldn't see a face and how connecting with my stomach or my heart helped. And mm -hmm. then when actually finding the root of the problem, it would be something so small to me and I can't even think of what it is right now. But I remember like doing the exercise and going like, mom, <laughs> when you said that one thing to me when I was a kid, that affected me that much? Or like, yeah. dad, when you like did that thing, like it's not even an issue to me now as an adult, but clearly, you know, some sort of a belief stems from somewhere. And I was very surprised by that. So thank you for that exercise because like I've done a lot of self-development work over the years. Um, so when I was doing it, for me, it was a little bit easy. Like I was going through it and I was just like finding what was affecting me in the moment, but it really, really, really had a powerful impact at the same time too. And oh, I was so wonderful. surprised by it. <laughs> So thank you for that. Um, so I do have a couple questions regarding mm -hmm. this section of the book, because mm -hmm. you talked a lot about if everybody works on healing themselves, then of course we can achieve a sustainable future and work towards like a, a more sustainable life. But then I can't help but think about the people that you can't change. Like, you know, you hear like you can't teach an old dog new tricks, people don't change. I mean, you've got the Donald Trumps in the world that probably have some sort of personality disorders. Um, and then it starts to make you think about like mental illness and what if people aren't properly medicated and if they are, what if, you, you know what I mean? Like it gets so complex. So with all those complexities in mind, how do you deal with the complexities? So, you know, change, belief change is not as difficult I mean, we go through the exercise in terms of the hundred monkey. This is the hundred monkey principle. So you don't need the whole world to be on board. 
you just need a critical mass and then change happens. And we see this again and again through our history of society, like vote for women, um, what else? End of slavery, for example, those things. Um, and here it's that um, for gay people can now legally marry. That's happened in the last couple of years. So what it is, it's about getting a critical mass of people who share the same belief. And then those people, it's enough to influence the broad society. So is everybody always going to be on board? No, but you've got enough to influence great change. Wow. I was so worried there would be no answer to my question, but you just like popped that out like it was nothing. That's amazing. Okay, I completely get that now. So like chatting a little bit more about your book, obviously I felt very um, connected to the sustainable consumption portion of the book. Mm -hmm. So not sure how much you read about my Sustainable Life app and the platform, but we have five factors for sustainable consumption, which is what we feel we need in order to achieve a future where sustainable consumption is the new forever norm. Um, yeah. The first one is impact on human health. The second is environmental impact. The mm -hmm. third is respect for human rights. Fourth is respect for animal rights. And fifth is socioeconomic worldview. And what that means for us is it's all about consuming according to your values. So I could be, you know, very persistent about living a zero waste lifestyle. You could be very serious about, you know, being a vegan and consuming only vegan products and being very concerned about animal rights. And our third friend could be a hunter and he or she could, you know, not practice factory farming and buying their meat from factory farming. So it's about consuming according to our values and our personal blueprint of the world and where we were um, created. So I kind of had that viewpoint <laughs> when I was reading <laughs> all of the various sections of the book. And I really felt interested by the section where you were talking about incorporating environmental costs into the products and the services that we consume. So could you talk a little bit more about that? This is something that I would love to see happen, but it requires a worldwide economic change. But economics is not my field of expertise. Obviously, there are environmental economists. But basically, the way the economy is set up is that there are some things which have no value. And these include any resources that come from the environment, but they also include a lot of resources that women give up quite freely. Um, which like particularly women as a, as a place in society, including volunteering and work with the family. And so those things in our economy have no economic value placed on them. And because of this, they're undervalued or not valued at all, which is how we've got ourselves into this problem of exploiting the environment and um, not putting a value on the cost. So every time we chop down a tree and we don't replace it, that's a loss of oxygen production, but that is not factored into the economic costs of that production. And this is quite a problem for advancing environmental sustainability, because whether we like it or not, so much of the focus in the last 50, 20 to 50 years in particular has been about making money. And um, unless we change the way that making money is measured, then, you know, we won't necessarily see the environmental changes that we want. Of all of the things that I talk about in my book, that is the hardest one. There's yeah. so many other easy, easy, easy things that we can do and the changes we can implement straight away. And I should mention also changes that we've known about for at least the last 50 years that we could do, but they haven't happened because we haven't changed our beliefs. 
Definitely. So like going back into that point though, like what I read when, or what I kind of thought about in my mind when I read that was like, let's say you're going to the grocery store and you're buying some peas, like frozen peas. So it's breaking down each and every single product you're consuming and adding in an environmental cost to the product or the service. So a bag of peas is coated in a plastic bag, essentially, and most peas are frozen. So there would be an added cost to the plastic bag. That's kind of what you're saying, correct? Um, there's a cost of a plastic bag in the disposal of a plastic, which is not being taken into account. Right. And the cost of the incorrect disposal of the plastic, so in the ocean, for example, that cost also hasn't been taken into account. That doesn't mean that people should feel bad about buying peas because you can buy organic peas that are locally produced even if they're in a frozen bag, and then you can make sure that your bag is disposed of through plastic recycling initiatives if you have them in your area. So there are things that you can do, but if we factored in the true cost of the disposal, including the illegal disposal or disposal in the ocean, which then has an impact on the And the, the shipping, and the yes, environmental yeah. costs, yeah. Yeah, um, although shipping, the carbon impact of shipping is not included, but shipping in terms of the fuel and the cost is included in the price then goods would cost more and we would consume less. I really love that when you had it because I was thinking about like what would push us to be more local and obviously COVID has had a really great impact on a lot of us <laughs> with supporting local, shopping local and has also made us appreciate our local farmers more and made us think about like who are our local farmers in this area and I hope my app helps with that too is like yeah. go and find your local farms and yeah. support those farmers but like this really intrigued me because I thought oh what a great way to like incentivize people to look even further. Yes of course very hard to implement because that would I don't even know how that would go about happening I think it would start at the people level then government and then industry essentially so that might be another um, interesting thing to talk about is how do we create change like in my brain so far how that happens is government and policies can only be created if people basically want the change because industry will always get in the way right don't want a bad industry, but yeah. So the change cycle, an individual first, then a society, and then business, and then government. So government is actually usually last on the change cycle, and it can be 10 years between, you know, when an individual wants change and when a government actually does seek change um, or implement change. Um, I think that we're in, in terms of sustainability, I think that there's far greater consciousness of it now. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that sustainability is taught in primary schools, which it wasn't when I was going through school. So now we have a generation of people, young people coming through into the, you know, into their 30s who are pushing for change, who are making change within their level of influence. They're starting up sustainable businesses. They're making a lot of noise on social media. They're meeting with politicians and, and industry and influencers. My experience with the waste industry was that they were resistant to change, but in the end, they were, this is what people want. If we are to survive as a business, then we have to show that we have some sustainability credentials. Otherwise, people 
are not going to go with our, our services, basically, the waste services that we provide. So I think that the momentum which is starting now does have an impact on some business. Government is slow to respond. Um, I don't know about in Canada, but here, coal and gas industries have pay politician political parties quite a lot of money over the years and our politicians are very resistant to enforce climate change policies that would work or be effective in any way whatsoever they're very minimal the climate change policies in our country and so um you know we have a way to go with it there's still more work but i'm heartened in the last five years especially to see the level of momentum really increasing now hopefully in the next 20 years we'll see a lot more change. Mm-hmm. The, there is definitely a trend. I hope it becomes like a forever trend yeah. and not just a trend. <laughs> it is um, true. But like and the, that's up to us. You know, it's up to us to lobby our governments. It's up to us, who, those of us who are brave enough to go into politics and, and make change there. You can make change at any level, from the individual level to your family, to, you know, your local area, your society, your workplace, through to, you know, local government, state government, federal government. Yeah. The world's your oyster. It's just up to you to decide what you're comfortable with. I definitely agree with you 100%. That Those are my core values as well. But I do have to think about the other end, which is, I guess it goes more into economics is like, you know, you have your quarterly um, for like publicly traded companies and even private companies. It's all about the revenue. It's all about how much you're you're making. I, I follow Warren Buffett a lot and people, whenever they come to him and they say, hey, the companies that you own and you invest in, they cause this much environmental damage or, you know, these atrocities are committed against human rights or animal rights. And yeah. he's always, he says like, you know, it's up to the governments to make the policies. It's not up to industry to make the change. If governments tell us we have to do it, then we'll do it. Otherwise we're not going to, we're going to continue awesome. on this way. that is a complete cop-out it is a complete cop-out and it frustrates me because industry is seeing this as a trend there's also a lot of increased greenwashing Mm. like oh it really gets to me boy does that ever get to me so there's that too so how do we deal with that like are you able to answer that question the problem that greenwashing poses it is about calling it out and i think it's about also some environmental professionals coming forward and saying hey we have the know-how to come into your business look at it end to end and show you how to do it sustainably i do think maybe some public shaming is in order but it's it's not enough to do that it's also about here's the solution yeah Let's work with you. Let's create a solution here that's going to work. That's beautiful. We're introducing a stakeholder um, sustainability analyst to our app right now too, to help like businesses and brands. So we definitely have that like on our own agenda for our particular company, but yeah, for sure to have that more widespread and give industries access to that will be integral. And hopefully they don't, I don't know, be manipulative with it because you could still get like the analysts that still think about your bottom line at the end of the day too, right? Which is true. Yeah, and look, you know, in order for businesses to survive, it does have to make money. But I don't believe that implementing environmentally sustainable solutions is necessarily more expensive than anything else. And in very often it can save money. They're just simple things like recycling water through your plant. There you go. Um, That's, uh, there's an, it's an efficiency and it's a cost saving and it's good for the environment. Some of them are really easy games and they don't have to cost lots and lots of money. 
I have this uh, zero waste person I started following on social media and she keeps her plants um, in the washroom so that while she's waiting for her tub to heat up, she, she puts the water, she waters her plants right when she's waiting for the tub to heat up, which I thought oh, was yeah, really cute. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> and use the gray water out in the garden, recycle the gray water. But I was talking, when I said plants, I meant industrial plants, like recycling your water through your industrial processes. Yeah. And then just using it over and over again. So I guess like my last question, and then maybe I'll open it up to you if you have any final words, is are jobs in sustainable industries and renewable energies and just in general, you know, creating your own sustainable business, maybe even growing your own fruits and veggies. What do you see as like the future as far as actually achieving this sustainable world? It has to be on all levels of this scale. So starting up, small businesses within your level of influence and producing sustainable products or farming organically is an important step but it's not the only step because those actions need to be taken up you know for broad scale farming for example as well so it's it's business at every level of business every size of business it's government at every level of government from state local and federal and working internationally it's you know, industry doing more to create products in a sustainable way and being more mindful about the destruction they're causing and cleaning it up better, which is another thing that we haven't talked about, but certainly doesn't happen to the extent that it should. And it's it's also the individual and what the individual does in their life. So like that, that change for a truly sustainable world to come about, it has to happen on every level for it to be a permanent change. So from the individual through to governments working at international levels and multinational corporations, it's everything. It's incorporating environmental sustainability into every step because everything's interconnected. That's why the book is so all-encompassing. Every, every part of our world impacts another part of our world. They're not separate like we've been taught to believe, separate economic units. On page 154, and I felt like so compelled to read this because it really touched me. And you said, you can use your purchasing power to look after the environment by buying products made in a way that doesn't harm the environment, including organic food, clothes made from organic material, sustainably caught fish, green cleaning products, and products made from recycled materials, buying local, sustainably sourced food in season, and then drinking tap water in developed countries, buying products that are not made from wildlife, including shells, making your home more environmentally friendly, which I thought was such a great point that you brought up in the book too, is like, you know, how we build our homes and making sure they're built in a way that you don't actually have to use as much heat and light and actually making that sustainable. That for me was like a big takeaway obviously having like proper recycling systems, solar panels, and then purchasing hybrid or electric cars, and then not needing to like buy the newest version of whatever. So like, I'll use an example with like me and the iPhone, you know, my iPhone won't be, I'm sure I could have still made use of my iPhone 4, <laughs> but I swapped right away because I just needed like a faster technology. So that was a really good point that you made as well. And then like something that really surprised me that I read was you can choose to go to a holiday to places where human rights are respected. So our collective decision to not go to countries where human trafficking, slave labor, 
or child sex labor is widespread will force the governments of those nations to take action to end these exploitive practices because they rely on tourism industries. Yeah. So if we're not going to go visit you because you have like human rights issues, like child slave labor being like a big one um, yeah. and a child sex labor industry. Like, can you think of like 15 countries off the top of your head? I know I can. Um, yeah. And of course, those countries are going to do something about it because it affects their bottom line, too. I love your book. I think everybody should get your book. It really, really, oh. really changed the way I thought of things. And like, particularly, I think world leaders should read your book. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, I think so too. We're at least at this stage of potential world leaders. So yes. if you're, you know, you're in your teens or your 20s or your 30s and you're thinking that some, you know, a career in politics is something you'd like to go for. Or 40s or 50s. Joe Biden's like, what, like 80 something and he became president. <laughs> And Kamala Harris, by the way, we should do like a little like holla for that. I really love that she's VP. So yeah, any final words? I think only to say that you've just read out a whole list of things that people can do to um, affect positive change in the world. And all of those things are completely achievable. I walk the talk, I do all of them. So don't feel that change is not within your power because it completely is. It completely is. You know, just um, go for it. Yeah, for sure. And we can totally hold our government officials accountable too. I mean, they come knocking on our doors looking for our votes. So we exactly. want to have that conversation. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate it. And then maybe we'll do like a follow-up someday for one of the other things that many things that you speak about in your book. These are the main two things that were my biggest takeaways. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely no problem. I'd love to. So how can people buy your book? How can they find you? Um, so you can buy my book online. It's available through a number of um, bookstores, online bookstores. So I'm not going to mention name um, <laughs> because I've been told not to. Everybody goes to the big one, but it's available through some smaller ones as well. And I have, you can find me on Facebook and you can find me on Instagram. At uh, Yasmin Devar, right? Yes. Okay, awesome. So the book again for everyone who's listening is Our Peaceful Planet, Healing Ourselves and Our World for a Sustainable Future by Yasmin Devar. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Sustainable Life app is a free mobile app available on both Apple and Android. Our app connects you with sustainable businesses and brands. Adding businesses to the app is super easy. Once you download the app, simply click the Add a Business button in the app to add your favorite eco-establishment. Use it at home or while you travel to live a life in line with your core values. Want to know about our app's core values? They're the five factors for sustainable consumption and the five factors for recycling responsibly. The five factors for sustainable consumption are impact on human health, environmental impact, respect for human rights, respect for animal rights, and an individual's unique socioeconomic outlook. The five factors for recycling responsibly are reduce, reuse, repurpose, repair, and recycle. To learn more about the app, visit www.sustainablelife.app. Just to note that we are a non-judgmental community. It is our belief that no one is perfect, but if we all do our part to consume more sustainably, there will naturally be a positive ripple effect worldwide. Our hope is that the app and our platform positively impacts your health, 
the environment, and all living beings. On a legal note, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the guest and do not necessarily reflect that of CE Sustainable Life Incorporated and its subsidiaries, affiliates, and associated companies, together with all respective officers, directors, and employees thereof. Thank you for being such an important part of our community. The love and light in us salutes the love and light in you. See you next time.